I want to ask if you would, if you have your copy of God's Word, to join with me in the book of James, chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 14 and read through verse 26 in just a few moments. Uh, as Eric said earlier, uh, my name is Keith Kelly. I've been the pastor at New Murchie Baptist Church on the other side of Floyd County for seven and a half years. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But I just want to, again, thank you for the work that you're doing here on this side of Floyd County and beyond. Uh, I know your pastor as a fellow pastor, but also as a friend. And I really look to him as a mentor. Uh, I was able to come to the service where you um, had a celebration for him. I know your love for him. I see it. And, and I know his love for you because I hear that from him. He speaks so kindly of you and he loves you deeply. And uh, I just, I thank God for him. I thank God for you. I thank you for allowing me to be here. You know, when you have problems or questions or concerns in your life, a lot of times you'll go to a, a youth minister, a student minister, or your pastor, and you may often wonder, well, pastors don't have problems. Well, no, we do. Uh, where do we go? Well, we, we develop relationships uh, normally with other pastors and, and bounce ideas off of pray uh, with one another, for one another. And Tim and I have laughed together and we've cried together, and I just look, to, look up to him so much, and I know you do as well. Again, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Let's go ahead and read this, if you would. I'm reading from the New American Standard. You can read silently as I read aloud. Beginning in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to, res- to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You have a copy of your bulletin. There's a skeletal outline, just three points. You can fill out the blanks and there's space in between uh, those points, if you will. We've got a few subpoints, and hopefully you can find some things to fill in there as well. But really, the challenge is this, and I'll give it at the beginning of the sermon. It's in the title. It's three words. Practice your faith. Practice your faith. There's three reasons why I want to encourage us this morning, based upon this passage of Scripture, why you should practice Practice being an active word. Why you and I should practice our faith. And the first one is this. That faith without works is dead. 
We should practice our faith because faith without works is dead. James write, writes that, James, that, that faith without works is dead, but it's also useless. You may be interested to know that the great reformer Martin Luther questioned the usefulness of the book of James specifically because of this passage. You see, James speaks so little about justification by faith, but rather he dealt more in his writing with the practical aspects of Christian conduct demonstrated by our works. Some feel that James' view of works contradicts Paul's view of faith. However, we know that the Holy Spirit of God is the one who gave these men uh, the ability to write this portion, these portions of Scripture. And we know that God's Scripture does not contradict itself. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. And so when we begin to understand that Paul in his writings was emphasizing the way to salvation or the way of salvation... And James, in his focus, was really discussing the results of salvation or what happens as a result of salvation. We understand these truths dovetail very perfectly and succinctly. Well, I want to encourage us this morning to practice our faith because dead faith does not save a person. Charles Spurgeon is reported to have said... The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Let me be very candid with you this morning and tell you this. One of the greatest fears that I have today is that the church at large has watered down the gospel so much that we have people who believe that they are right with God and in reality they are not right with God. They watered it down to a point of, I've prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school. I prayed a prayer 30 years ago at youth camp. I got baptized. I'm a member of a church, so I should be right with God. Now understand that salvation comes by grace and through faith. It's not by our works. However, we need to understand that the faith that saves is a faith that changes a person's life. Jesus put it this way. He says, you believe there's one God, that's great. Even the demons believe. And, they're, and they, they're terrified. They tremble. They, they go one up on you. But they're not going to spend eternity in heaven with God. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation... Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I want to ask you this morning, has there been a change in your life since you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart? You see, attending church is great. I mean, it is a wonderful, wonderful day. It's great to be here with really a packed house. And it's good that you're here. We need to attend church. We need to fellowship with one another. We need to use our gifts and our abilities. We need to worship God corporately. But we need to also understand that attending church only makes me no more a follower of Christ than standing in my garage makes me a car. There has to be a change that occurs. Let me ask you this. As you evaluate your life, 
Do you see the fruit of repentance? A turning away from sin and a turning to God. I know people in my life and you know people in your life. And we don't need to name names and we don't need to nudge anybody. But sometimes people have a hard time owning up to faults, don't they? I mean, there are people that we know, I know that that everybody else, it's always their fault. It's never my fault, right? I mean, this temper problem I have, if you had the boss that I had, I mean, you would have a bad temper too. If God would just change my boss and get rid of him, uh, my temper problem would go away. Uh, the, the way I'm uh, mean to you and, 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 and selfish, it's because my mother held me too tight and, and she warped me. It's, it's mom's fault. If, if you were under the stress and the pressure that I was under, you would do what I do. Sometimes people will not take responsibility. And, and by the way, this is, this is free. It's not part of the sermon. School is about to start up. And we see children, their parents sometimes, unfortunately, we rescue them time and time and time again. And sometimes they need rescue. But sometimes uh, when they have committed a crime, they need to pay the punishment. Amen? Because we teach them a disservice. We teach them that you're above the law. Do you realize that the first step... To coming to know Christ is admitting that it's your bad, it's your fault, it's your sin, it's not a flaw. Let's not water it down, let's call it what it is. It's S-I-N, sin. Is there the fruit of repentance in your life? Is there the fruit of a desire to know Christ more in your life? I understand you attend church, that's great. I understand maybe you teach Sunday school, perhaps you're a deacon, but do you have a hunger to know the person of God? Do you have a desire to know Him more and more intimately? Is there the fruit of obedience? I've often said that my answer as a believer, if He is my Lord, if He is the one that calls the shots, my answer always, without question, should be yes. God, what's your question? You see, many times we want to negotiate with God. We want to make a deal with God. We need to understand that the life of following Christ is a life of obedience. Let me put it this way. This is a good one to write down if you're taking notes. The faith that works unto salvation is the faith that produces works because of salvation. Let me say it again. The faith that works unto salvation is the faith that produces works because of salvation. I want to encourage you to practice your faith. Because dead faith saves no one. But also, dead faith serves no one. Understand that God's desire for your life, His greatest desire as a believer is that you would mature in Him, that you would become more mature in Him, that you would grow up in Him and become more and more like Him. He wants to work in you personally so that He may use you publicly. He wants to work in you personally in order to use you publicly. Works, action, and movement are always tied to faith in the life of a believer. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Don't leave off verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith, apart from works, is dead and is useless. It does not save a person. And it does not serve people. Make no mistake about it. God wants salvation for you. And he wants service through you. Are you working out this salvation that God has worked in you? I want to encourage you to practice your faith. Practice your faith because faith without works is dead. But secondly, I want to encourage you to practice your faith because it is foolish to think that faith alone has any value. Now, I realize that using this word foolish kind of might seem arrogant and kind of might seem boastful. That's kind of a strong word to use, Keith. You put this in the notes, that it's foolish to think that faith alone has value. Well, look again to verse 20, and you'll find that this is exactly what James said. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, That faith without works is useless. Let me pause here for just a second. By the way, y'all are doing a great job listening. And I appreciate it. I'm going to wait till the train goes by. No, I'm kidding. Have you heard of the workout program called Insanity? Anyone, if you have, raise your hand. There's a workout program out there called Insanity. Raise them high so I can see who's got it. Okay, all right. If you have a copy of that, would you raise your hand? Got a copy? All right. For those of you who don't know what insanity is, let me let me share a little bit about this. This is a heavy cardio program. All right. It's like twelve DVDs, and what you do is you watch the DVD, and the instructor's on there, and you, and basically makes you do jumping jacks as many as you can do for like forty seconds, and then you move to something else, and you, basically you're you're racing against the clock and doing all that you can do. And, and they promise through this DVD series that, man, you can be a different person in like 60 days. And I'm like, well, that's great. So I bought it. Now, I didn't buy it uh, on TV or from TV. I went out to Alabama and got a, a better deal out of it at the unclaimed baggage, right? <laughs> and I don't know if I got a, a botched system or what, but I'm a, I'm a little disappointed in this insanity. Because I've had it for a year. And it hadn't done much for me. I mean, I want to tell you with conviction, I have this set up in my basement. And every time I walk through the basement, I look at that DVD set. Insanity. I've got that. It's a good set. I will tell you that I have told people with conviction, man, if you don't have insanity, you got to go get it. I mean, you think your workout program is good, you need to get insanity. And I will tell people, I, I don't know how many people, uh, I'd be interested if anybody's bought it based upon my recommendation. I believe with all my heart that the exercises used on insanity will change a person's life. And I don't know about you, but I'm at the stage of my life uh, where I would like to shed some pounds and then find some muscles that have been tucked away for a few years. Amen? So I need this. And I believe in it. And not only do we have insanity, I've got a, 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 we've got an abdoer, right? We've got weight system that's in the corner. 
We've got so many things, some of them, I don't even know what they are. I don't even know what they do. But you know what I've come to realize? I've yet to put two back-to-back workout programs together, right? These programs are like 40 minutes, and, and I did like 10 minutes yesterday. And I'm watching them, you know, and I, 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 haven't, I haven't put what I know to actually... I've come to realize that I don't need to spend $100 to get a, a sit-up machine that makes me enjoy doing sit-ups. Oh, these are fun, right? I don't need to, to go the Chuck Norris route and, and get whatever he's doing, even though I like Chuck Norris. Nothing wrong with Chuck Norris, right? Uh, I, I don't need to get a, a, this elliptical machine that I can plug my iPod into and it can brush my teeth while I'm walking. I don't need those things, right? You know what I've come to the conclusion? I need to do what I know to do Rather than just continue to accumulate. You see, for me to be disappointed with insanity because it hasn't done what it's promised, you would say, well, you're foolish. Just because you have it, just because you bought it, doesn't mean it's going to help you. Just because you believe with all your heart that these workout programs and exercises are going to fix things, that's not good enough. Just because you tell other people... That this is a great system. That's not good enough. The bottom line is, no action equals no results. And I'm foolish to believe otherwise. Well, do you realize this morning that the principle that we're talking about from a physical, tangible perspective works the same way from a spiritual perspective? How many of you believe this morning that God loves you? Would you say yes? How many of you believe that God's desire for you is that you would grow in Him? Would you say yes? That you would mature in Him? Would you say yes? That He could use you in a great way? Would you say yes? You believe it? You tell other people about it? Alright. John chapter 15 verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So I read this passage of Scripture, and my question is, does Jesus change things just for you? You can answer. Is He going to change it just because you want to do things differently? No. So He says what He means, He means what He says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So my next question is, God, how do I abide in you? We understand that we abide in Him by getting into His Word and allowing His Word to become part of who we are. We, we abide in Him as we pray and we listen. We abide in Him as we confess sin on a regular basis and turn from that. We can't just come to church and expect that we've heard a sermon and go, you know what, that's great, I'm closer to God. I mean, that's the launching pad. That's the starting point. Amen? Let's look at it a different way. Psalm chapter 66 verse 18 says this. This is one of those verses that scares me. It makes me fear. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I continue to sin, if God reveals sin in my life, and I continue to go, I'm not going to fix that. You know what God does? doesn't say He can't hear. He does this. I'm sorry, I'm not listening. I know that you want help with that over there, but I, I, I was talking to you about this, and you're not, you're not listening to me, so if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. 
So here's the deal. I've got a person in my life that I uh, feel like they have done me wrong. It was 10 years ago. It was 20 years ago. And I, as a believer, I know we're supposed to forgive, but I'm not going to forgive them. What's that called? Sin. When God tells you to do something and you don't do it, it's called sin. You can dress it up. You can water it down. You can do whatever you want to do. God calls it sin. So I may look and I may say, well, this person doesn't deserve forgiveness. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, if they do this, if I forgive them, they'll do it again. Well, you know what? God says forgive them. So I can go to church. I can go to another Bible study. I can teach another Bible study. But if I refuse to forgive them, God's going, whoa, whoa, this is not, this is not part of my plan. Or God touches me and says, you know what? You're jealous of that person. Well, I know I'm jealous, but I've got so many other good qualities, God. I mean, let's not worry about that one. Or or he wants me to change a habit, to start doing something, to stop doing something. And I choose to do what I want rather than he wants. That faith is dead. God says, I want you to witness to your neighbor. Nah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just too shy. That's dead faith. It's faith without action. It's faith without works. I am foolish to think that my faith alone has value. I must follow my faith with my actions so my faith is not useless. Thirdly, this morning, I want to encourage you to practice your faith because our actions perfect or complete our faith. The phrase here means to carry to the end. My actions reveal what I really believe. I'll say it again. My actions reveal what I really believe. But not only do they reveal what I really believe, my actions perfect my faith. Verse 22, talking about Abraham. He says, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Let me illustrate, if I could, this way. I have a garden this year. I, I, I had a pretty good garden uh, up until the first or second week of June. Are you with me? Like before 100-plus degree weather. In my garden, one of the things that I have are tomatoes. Uh, I planted them as plants. But let's, let's back up for a second. Some people will use a plant, and some people will start with a seed. It all starts with the seed somehow, Right? And so if you want to plant a garden, you, you clear the path, you, 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 you till up the land, you do all that kind of good stuff, and you begin to plant seeds. And you, you cover those seeds up with soil, and you water it, and you fertilize it, and you wait for the sun to heat things up. And you're waiting for that seed to germinate. You're waiting for that seed to, to sprout, and it brings forth a, a blade or a stalk or whatever that is. It becomes, for, in our situation, it's a tomato vine. And then that tomato vine grows up and it gets little uh, buds on it and it produces tomatoes. And those tomatoes, as they grow, you know, you go out there and you pick them and you can eat them or you can give a bunch to your neighbors, uh, you can can them, uh, you can sell them, right? And it doesn't stop there, does it? Because each tomato is full of other seeds. And so you could take those seeds out of those tomatoes and... Next year, you can continue to plant seeds, which produces plants, which produces tomatoes, which produces seeds and plants. You with me? And so what happens is you have these seeds that respond 
to the positive circumstances. They respond to the sunlight. They respond to the fertilization. They respond to the watering. And their response perfects what they were created to do. But then there's other seeds like my okra seed. Are you still with me? If you're with me, say yes. Nudge your neighbor and say, are you still with him on the left? Nudge him. Are you with him? Say it. Ask him. All right. My okra crop. I got one stalk this year. One. I planted several seeds, but one responded. Do you know what happens to the seeds that don't respond? Just humor me and say what? Nothing. They die. That's it. And they leave a barren piece of ground. Nothing. And so you look and you're like, man, this seed didn't respond. And there's, there's nothing there. There's no okra. To, there's no crop. There's no produce. That's it. You know, the same is true in our life. God gives us opportunities to practice our faith. And he puts a seed here and he goes, I want, you to, I want you to witness to your barber. Oh, I believe in evangelism. I sure do. I believe in it. I, I, I believe it. I really do. I need to witness. But uh, I'm kind of nervous about that. And that seed dies. God gives you another seed. He goes, I, I want you to, to be a Sunday school teacher. Well, you know, God, what if I fail? What if, what if bad things happen? And, you know, well, what if you don't fail? God says, I, I want you to start tithing. Well, God, I mean, we're not even making it right now. And I, I mean, I don't know about this tithing thing. I mean, this is, I don't know if we could do, and that seed dies. And what happens is, every time I say no to God, there's barren spots in my life. There's places that God invested, He entrusted us, and we will be held accountable for what we've done with what we've been given. But friends, every time we say yes to God, Every time we say yes, God works something in our lives. He increases our faith, and then he gives us more opportunities. And not only does he endear us to him, he uses us in a way that we could never be used on our own. Amen? Man, y'all are, y'all are doing good. And, and i got to tell you, on a sermon like this, a lot of times it's hard to hear, and it might be easy to kind of look back and go, well, you just, you just, you know, you put this together, and you wanted us to really... You want us to get us. Well, I don't, I don't want to get you, right? Uh, but I believe in, in uh, I'm not going down alone, okay? So I, <laughs> that's what, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just preaching where we're living. I am. I'm just preaching where we're living. Now, I told you a little bit about my story. Uh, I was at New Mercy Baptist Church for seven and a half years as their pastor. What I didn't tell you is, uh, over the last, really over the last year, God's been working on us and, and revealing to us that, hey, you know what? I'm done with you here at New Amarchi. Uh, no, no group came together and said, we want you to leave. Uh, nobody was out to get us. Uh, we're not mad at anybody there. It's a great church. They're doing great things just like First Baptist Lindell's doing. But here's the deal. God came to him. He said, Keith, I'm done with you here. It's time to resign. And you know what I said to him? God, it's easier to find a job when you got a job. Do you know what he told me? He said, Keith, it's just easier to trust me and obey me. 
And, and you know, here's the deal. I don't say this to, to, to glorify myself at all. I don't say this to, so you can go, well, you should have done it this way. I told my dad <laughs> when we made the decision, I called mom and dad, and, and they're back in Texas. And I said, I just want to let you know, uh, this is uh, for, for information only. We're not asking for your input. And I told him, and dad's like, you know, he didn't say anything. And I think I hurt his feelings. But, but anyway, here's the deal. I, I understand the concept. I get it. It's not a good economy. Uh, I understand that, and we believe that God wants us to continue to be pastor of a church. I understand churches look and go, well, he's not, he's not working here. What, what happened? What, who ran him off? I get all that, okay? I understand that, being the provider of my family. But here's what I also get. is If I'm not willing to practice what I preach, I'm not, I'm not anything in the, in the pulpit. I mean, it's one thing for me to, to stand here and put a sermon together and say, well, you, li- you hear God, you listen to Him, and you obey Him. But if I'm not willing to do that in my own life, I'm no good. And so Celeste and I are delighted. We are so excited at what God's doing. I mean, I don't have time to unpack all that He's done. But I'm going to tell you, young people, I promise you, you will never go wrong by saying yes to Jesus. No matter what the question is. He will never let you down. It may be difficult. It may be a a, a different road than most people would choose, and that's okay. You'll never go wrong saying yes to Jesus Christ, whatever his question. John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus put it this way. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. You know, this morning, God wants you to bear fruit. And here's my question for you. How are you responding? Are you... Living your faith? Are you acting on your faith? Are you practicing your faith? Sir, you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I'm listening to what people said about me. I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I've taken care of my family. I prayed a prayer 30 years ago and, I, and I'm good. But you, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's been no changes taking place in your heart. And I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation, but here's the deal. As far as I understand it, out of this book, and this is a paraphrase, that 10 out of 10 of us are going to die. Those are not good odds. Okay? 10 out of 10 of us are going to die unless Jesus comes first. And then comes the judgment. And it really doesn't matter what your coworkers think of you. It doesn't matter what your wife thinks of you. It doesn't matter what your family thinks of you. It doesn't matter how much money you've made. It matters what one person thinks of you, and that's Jesus Christ. And it matters if you have a relationship with him, not knowing about him and doing a bunch of religious acts. It matters that you've given your heart to him, that by faith you have placed your heart in his hands and you said, I've made a mess of my life. You're the boss from this point on. And I trust. I don't know what will happen, but I trust that you are capable of taking care of me and that you love me enough that you will take care of me. This morning is the invitation for you, sir, or man, to invite Jesus once and for all to be your Lord and Savior. Student, you're here this morning. Possibly you're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. Person that you love or single adult, they're not walking with God. And you say, well, God, I want to do some missionary dating, and I want, to, I want to bring them up. Well, listen, it's easier to drag someone off the top of the house than it is to drag someone up on top of the house. And God said, you know what, you need to break this relationship because it's the best thing to do. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. 
I, I, I may not find another boyfriend or another girlfriend that's as good to me as this one. Here's the deal. Either you trust God or you don't. Well, I'm going to wait for them to break up with me. That's dead faith. Good luck. Student schools are schools about to start. There's a person last year that you didn't want to hang out with because they're not in the cool table. They're not in the cool group. And God has called you to be a witness. And you're, well, I'll just pray for them. <laughs> That's what I always hear. I'll just pray for them. Well, you need to pray for them. But you know what? This year you need to step up and be their friend and, and witness to them. You know, Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A is taking a lot of heat. You know what they're doing? They're living their faith. They're living their faith. And more of us need to live our faith and practice our faith rather than hide in our closet. Now, I'm a big fan of prayer. We need to pray. But we've got to act too. Amen? Possibly you're here this morning and you're just, you know, you're, you're, everything's going okay. You're, you know you're a believer in Christ, but you go, you know what? My relationship with God is just kind of like uh, shredded wheat. You know, I mean, not even the frosty kind. You know what I'm talking about? With a, just a little bit of milk. I mean, it's just kind of milk. I mean, it's, oh, I know it's going to help me out. It's going to get me through the morning, but it's just kind of, man, I want to enjoy. Jesus said, I came to give you life, abundant life. And man, I don't, I'm not, I don't, you know, let me just submit this to you. And again, I'm not trying to beat anybody down, but if that's you, there's a, a good chance, a good possibility that the reason it's kind of in here is because God gave you a chance to obey him somewhere. And you said no. And you said no. You, well, that doesn't make you the worst Christian or the second class citizen. It doesn't make you any of that. But here's the deal. You cannot live the abundant life. Unless you're following him and saying yes every step of the way. And perhaps you need to come down to this altar this morning and say, God, man, I don't know where I said no. I don't even know, I don't even know where to begin, but I, I want this abundant life. I know I'm saved. I know I'm sealed. I know I'm secure. But God, I want what you have for me. I, I, I'm cheating myself and I'm cheating you. Perhaps you're here this morning. You're a guest. And you've been visiting this congregation. I, I love being a guest. You know why I love being a guest? Because when y'all have functions, man, everybody's like, hey, he's a guest. Let him go first. It's like, oh, yeah. The guest. Big capital G. I love being a guest because you've got great parking out here. I mean, it's like, man, it's boom. I'm right here. I can be late. I'm in. I'm in the church. And I get the back row or towards the back. I can leave. I'm out. I'm the first one, you know, to Golden Corral. Or I'm the first one to Rides. Love being a guest. And it's okay to be a guest. But here's the deal. Sometime God calls you to say, you know what? I've got to pull the trigger. God's calling me to commit. And this is the place. This is where God... Because here's the deal. If all of us were guests, the lights probably wouldn't be turned on in the morning. If all of us were guests, uh, there would be no money probably coming in. If all of us were guests, the jobs wouldn't get done. And it's okay to be a guest for a little while. But when God says... You're home. That's the time. This is the moment. This is the day. Well, I'm waiting for an invitation. Here it is. That's your invitation. To say, you know what, God, you have blessed us through this wonderful church. And we want to be a blessing to others. We're going to commit to you. Perhaps you're here this morning and it's a dozen other reasons. And God is speaking to you. Here's my challenge to you. You say yes to Jesus. No matter what the question is. You respond to him. And we're going to open up this altar. 
We're going to have a song that someone's going to sing in a few moments. And I just want to challenge you. I understand the roast is, is, is in the crock pot. I get that. I understand the Methodists are going to let out, and we, we might not get to get, to get there uh, to Ryan's before they do, right? But here's the deal. We can walk away and say, man, we had a good day in church, and we had good lunch. Or we can walk away and say, God, you moved in my life today, and I responded. And I will never be the same. Isn't that why we're here? I mean, if we came, and our expectation is not to meet with God, we're wasting our time. And I want to challenge you. Perhaps you're just here and you say, you know what, God, I just need to pray for somebody. This altar is open for you. And I want to ask you to respond yes to God this morning.